Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Dirt Radio would like to acknowledge that we broadcast live from stolen Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation and would like to pay our respects to elders past and present. Today on the show, we have a show on the climate safeguard mechanism and we have two people talking about this today. Lee Eubank is a regular on the radio show, been at Friends of the Earth a while, climate and renewable energy community campaigner at Friends of the Earth for 10 years, so... I say a while, it's probably a bit longer than that. Um, he's coordinated successful campaigns for a Victorian renewable energy target and Victorian emissions reduction targets. Now jumped to work on climate policy at the national level with the Climate Action Network Australia. You might be thinking who better to also speak about this, but in the studio we have Anna Langford. And Anna is the um, campaign coordinator at Act on Climate. Hey, Anna. Hey, Jack. Good to be here. Good, good. Um, so... Anna's also worked alongside Lee for five years on the uh, Victorian emissions reduction targets. I'll bring Lee in. Yeah, Lee. Hey, Lee. Hey. Um, so I'll start off one to you, Lee. Uh, if you're not a policy boffin, which I'd imagine quite a few people aren't, especially if they're in their cars on their way to work this morning, what on earth is the climate safeguard mechanism? And can you give us a history of how it came about? Yeah, look, it has a, a bit of a funny history, really, the climate safeguard mechanism. So we've got to go all the way back to 2013 and 14, where we saw the election of the climate policy wrecking Abbott government. And, you know, I guess back back in the, the start of the, the 20 teens, we did have a national economy-wide carbon price in place. And essentially, the Tony Abbott government was elected to office uh, with a commitment to to scrap that carbon price. But in an attempt to, you know, look like they were doing something on climate, they established the climate safeguard mechanism. So this was kind of a, an olive branch just to demonstrate that they were doing something on climate. Yeah. Effectively, the safeguard mechanism covers the largest polluters in Australia, so large industrial polluters, such as the usual suspects of fossil fuels, coal mines, gas uh, refineries, but also other sectors of the economy that emit carbon and and climate warming gases, such as cement, uh, aviation, aluminium refineries, so on and so forth. So flash forward to 2022, we've got the election of the Albanese government in May, they were elected with a commitment to take action on climate change, uh, legislate a 2030 target, but also to revise this scheme so that it actually works and delivers emissions reductions. So one of the one of the things that the Abbott government did 
when establishing this scheme, they kind of set the baseline for the polluters well above, uh, you know, what what was needed to drive change in terms of technology and change in processes okay. um, that are used by those big polluters. Yeah. So, yeah, we're seeing at the moment this reform process underway to actually put in place meaningful uh, limits on the polluters, a requirement that polluters reduce their emissions by 5% annually. And there's a couple of other areas where we really do need to see the community step up and, and push for the government to deliver a strong outcome. So we don't want community, we don't want the polluters to have a get-out-of-jail-free card with a, uh, the un- unlimited use of offsets. Mm-hmm. We actually need real emissions reductions. And we need any new fossil fuel project to, you know, be required to be net zero from day one, rather than kind of eating into the uh, carbon budget uh, in that scheme. Yeah. Okay. So um, hopefully that makes a bit of sense. Yeah, it does. I, I was going to just touch on two things that you've mentioned there. So, one, the um, the baseline that's there. I had a quick read last night, and there was just one. There's two things that stood out to me. To me, and you've mentioned them there. And one of them is that they've got this calculated baseline, and they're saying that you need to have anything over a hundred thousand tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. That's the safeguard baseline. But then there's a calculated baseline which reads as if they're in the natural resources se- sector, they can apply to have their baselines increased to account for emissions variability, which sounds to me like if you're a large if you're producing large emissions, you almost get that get-out-of-jail-free card. Is that about right? Yeah, look, I have seen that, and one of the things that will be very important for the climate movement in coming weeks is to really push back on those types of loopholes and special deals for the fossil fuel companies. Um, you know, this scheme, you know, if you were if you were starting from scratch and you wanted a policy to you know, put a clear end to the fossil fuel sector. This wouldn't be it. Um, it, But nonetheless, it is a huge opportunity for the movement to influence the government and drive down emissions. And I I guess just also, this might be of interest to to the listeners of Dirt Radio, but the the polluting facilities covered by the safeguard mechanism represent about 28% of Australia's emissions. So we can't really afford to let this opportunity go to waste. We need to make a lot of noise, make sure the government is hearing the community and, um, you know, start starting to um, to really ratchet down and rule out those, you know, little <laughs> get-out-of-jail-free cards that the fossil fuel sector is always begging for. Absolutely, yeah. So, Anna, I'll pull you in based on the um, these large-committing ses- uh, sectors. Who are the dirty dozen polluters and how are they implicated in the reform of the uh, mechanism? Mm, so, yeah, as Lee said, um, the climate safeguard mechanism, it covers this whole range of the biggest polluters, which is not just coal and gas extraction, but um, everything from, you know, things a lot of us see in our day-to-day lives, like um, flying emissions and cement used in construction and things like that um but the dirty dozen um the the climate movements work on this so far is really focusing on these 12 biggest polluting companies um because uh these 
these dirty dozen polluters, they represent 40% of all of the emissions that are like covered by the climate safeguard mechanism. Um, so there's about 215 companies overall that would be affected by the mechanism, um, but only 12 make up like, you know, almost 50% of the total emissions. Um, so these are, you know, the likes of Shell, BHP, ExxonMobil, Chevron, like companies that are all over the world with their yeah. climate wrecking, dangerous extractive processes. And that also have, you know, histories of tax dodging, of avoiding responsibility at every turn, of leaving messes behind in the form of oil spills or um, other forms of pollution affecting communities and not cleaning them up. Yeah. Um, and basically, yeah, their interest is trying to keep their profits as high as possible. Who'd have thunk it, Often huh? at the cost of <laughs> communities. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that lately, even with things like the big gas companies' reactions against the government's um, proposed gas price cap, which is to try and um, lift the burden of um, skyrocketing gas prices on communities around the, around the country. Um, so we've singled them out because, yeah, these 12 companies really have the most interest in the climate safeguard mechanism being... Um, as soft touch as possible on yeah. them when it comes to imposing real emissions cuts. Yeah, okay. Um, I said to you before, just I want to say on tax because I think it's hilarious, but of these 10, if you take away BHP in South 32, I added up all the tax they paid last year, the remaining 10, and it was $30, which is, I reckon, yourself and myself probably paid a bit more tax than that. So, you know, you can't really... Yep. <laughs> you can't really protecting their own profits, yes, but, you know, for me, that that's a touch of... Um, I don't know, that's another way that a bit of entitlement, living fast and loose and getting away with it and I guess with these companies having such a vested interest in this bill, this mechanism um, what, where, where does political pressure need to be applied Lee because obviously there's reforms at the minute and I'd imagine that these big 12 are lobbying pretty hard with regards to the reforms and how they're going to pan out yeah, that's right. Look, um, you know, when we when we started this campaign back in November, it was pretty clear what we're up against. And, uh, you know, while our comrades at the Climate Council and Australian Conservation Foundation and elsewhere have been doing, you know, really good work in the parliament to, you know, persuade and brief MPs and key decision makers you know, it is really essential for any good community campaign to, you know, demonstrate that we actually have skin in the game and we're watching, we want a good outcome. The bulk of the of the reform will occur through regulation. So that means that, you know, the government will be key. Um, so at the moment, we're really keen for people to meet with their local Labor members of parliament in the federal arena and senators um, we're, we really need those Labor MPs to stand up for the community interest, not the corporate interest. Um, and secondly, there is a smaller component uh, around um, an amendment to the legislation that governs Australian carbon credit units. So there's a smaller um, avenue for um, senators, such as um, Senator Pocock up in the ACT and Greens senators, to have some influence. 
And importantly, I think as, as a result of all of the community activity that we've seen uh, since November on this front, we've actually seen Greens leader Adam Bant uh, come out in the news yesterday, really sending a strong signal to the government that the Greens do have some preparedness to disallow the regulations if they're not strong enough. And he, he did single out uh, offsets and the need to actually, you know, force the big fossil fuel polluters to deliver real emissions cuts uh, and not have access to unfettered offsets. Yeah, can you touch a bit further on these offsets and these carbon credit units and um, I suppose for the layman such as myself, how, how are they being manipulated to maybe pull the wool over the eyes, act as a scapegoat for how these companies are dealing with their emissions? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, you know, I think the, you know, in the past we have seen, you know, carbon credits uh, purchased by big polluters as a way of kind of greenwashing their pollution. And often the case, uh, they are quite dubious uh, offsets. Uh, they could be involving, you know, tree planting, you know, in, you know, a, a country in Africa or elsewhere around the world where there really isn't much uh accountability or, um, you know, monitoring and verification of whether or not these projects are actually delivering real emissions reductions. What we're really trying to do at the moment in the reform of the climate safeguard mechanism is um, kind of establish a hierarchy of offsets for these big polluters. So the reform is designed to establish this so-called safeguard mechanism credit where, you know, if a big polluting, you know, aluminium refinery, for example, installs some new technology and delivers emissions cuts below its baseline, that it could trade those kind of surplus credits with an entity uh, that doesn't have an off-the-shelf off technology to reduce its emissions. So I'm thinking about, you know, aviation. Um, we're not going to stop flying tomorrow um, and there isn't an off-the-shelf electric plane or other that we can use. So it's important for, you know, those types of offsets and mechanisms to be reserved for sectors that can't easily cut their emissions in the short term rather than gobbled up by sectors that are quite simply irreformable and irredeemable, such as offshore oil and gas uh, and big open-cut coal mines. Yeah, okay, that makes much more sense. Thanks for that. Um, with these issues and the Dirty Dozen and the um, the Climate Safeguard Mechanism, in your opinion, what's the community awareness of the policy and where it's currently at and the, the next few months of it? Yeah, look, I think it's really impressive. We've gone from a standing start in November to building quite a lot of buzz in the community. Um, you know, I've been doing, you know, dozens of uh, community meetings, um, you know, via Zoom and other face-to-face -face meetings across the country. Um, people are really cottoning on to what's at stake. Um, and, you know, as soon as you start to single out the, the companies, you know, that are part of this dirty dozen, you know, there is a strong awareness in the community about the dirty deeds that they've been a part of, you know, whether it's Shell, uh, you know, appealing the court ruling that it should be, you know, reducing its emissions this decade, 
whether it's ExxonMobil and the fact that they knew about the climate science and, uh, you know, took steps to, you know, hide that from the public, whether it's Woodside and Santos with their offshore gas developments that are being resisted by First Nations people. Um, you know, when we single out those companies and who are part of the Dirty Dozen, you know, there is strong awareness and strong appetite to hold them to account through this process. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like that regulation really gives a good foothold to hold them to account in a way that they obviously respond to, which is cash money. Um, yeah, that's right. That's 100%. It. Anna, what have communities on the ground level already been doing as part of this campaign that you've seen in your work, Act on Climate? Well, just to, to bounce off Lee talking about how the community level of awareness is at the moment, I'd say that also um, it's really tapping into a, an anger in communities that's been building up for a while now about, you know, who's really doing their fair share of um, tackling the climate crisis, because for years, community members around the country, around the world have already been doing as much as they can on an individual and community level to lower emissions and pave the way for the solutions that we really need to see. And, you know, at the same time, we're um, coming up against governments that are taking millions of dollars in um, donations from these companies and the companies themselves that have used tactics for decades now to tell us communities that it's our fault that emissions are high and that we need to do things like reduce our individual carbon footprint. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's down to that to tackle this global problem. Um, so I think we're already seeing that we're tapping into quite a, a reservoir of rage against what these companies have done to us and are still trying to get away with doing around the world. Um, and that's already seen... Um, yeah, quite a swell of actions and appetite for more over the last um, couple of months. As Lee said, groups like the Climate Council and the um, Oz Conservation Foundation have already been in the halls of parliament doing the uh, some important lobbying and also creating resources for us to actually understand what the policy's all about because I feel like the term climate safeguard mechanism isn't exactly um, one necessarily easy to throw around uh, the pub table <laughs> <laughs> chats. Um, so, yeah, I guess, like, as Lee said, there's been this lobbying um, happening already, but there was this missing piece until really the end of last year of the community on the ground um, also, like, demonstrating that we understand what it is and we want to see action on it. And so at the end of last year, uh, we kicked off with about 48 community groups around the country signing on to this open letter to the Dirty Dozen companies. Mm -hmm. The letter called on the companies to support a strengthened safeguard mechanism. Uh, and that included a couple of specific points, including ruling out the use of unfettered offsets, like, you know, planting trees in a place where they're then not monitored and then mm. die in a drought or burn in a bushfire. Yeah. Um, so 
we had that letter which was sent to all the companies and also to government MPs, um, but the way it was delivered to the companies is that community groups um, actually went to the headquarters, the offices of the companies in different capital cities around Australia, um, and we delivered them ourselves and issued our list of demands, basically. Um, that letter had a deadline of January 13 for the companies to respond to us. Mm-hmm. And um, when that deadline came a couple of weeks ago, we had an astonishing mere two responses from the Dirty Dozen companies. And as you can probably imagine, the two responses were just a lovely um, pile of greenwash about how great they're already doing and how we don't really need to worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And with, it seems to be the, that's the running theme, isn't it? And with, um, I suppose, community changing opinion, you said last year, what do you think sort of attributed to that change in community opinion um, and maybe making them more active uh, with these climate issues? Mm, yeah, well, I think, like, there's been, uh, as I said, there's been groups that have been, doing a great job at um, building resources to raise awareness about the nuts and bolts of the policy. But I think also that um, with the federal election result mm-hmm. last year, it, it really did shift for a lot of people that cloud of gloom that had been sitting over us for almost a decade of um, coalition governments at the federal level that were basically impossible to move on climate policy. Um, And then we had the Albanese government come in with a new emissions reduction target for the country and this pledge to reform the climate safeguard mechanism. So I think, you know, at the end of the coalition years, like people were getting really exhausted and, um, you know, finding it hard to maintain hope that we would have a chance at um, really making some big steps forward at the federal level when it comes to reining in emissions. And I think now there's this really refreshed appetite for scrutiny of what's happening and opportunities for intervention under the new government. Definitely. Super interesting, especially with, um, well, I suppose it's not such a positive spin, but with rising energy prices and the way that it's affecting people especially in Europe and the fact that all of these companies that we've listed have European bases of which they are doing very well they're not struggling at all and the only people that are struggling are people I know that it's actually transcending in the UK at least outside of what would be traditionally climate focused people Mm. and maybe it's becoming less bipartisan it's just becoming an issue that we all care about which mm. is it's, yeah, it's an interesting point it's a, a melting pot at the minute um so on that with the community involvement are there plans on the horizon and uh, can people get interested involved with what you're doing or other communities absolutely so uh, when it comes to the time frame of it it is quite a rapid fire period of time that we really need to get boots on the ground for. Um, We basically only have about six weeks of um, a window of influence to make a case for the Albanese government not to allow these, um, like, not to allow things in the reformed safeguard mechanisms such as the unfettered offsets um, and, you know, kind of same rules for new players, new coal Mm -hmm. and gas operations. Um, so it is 
very, it's extremely rapid in any campaign terms. Um, and what we're really doing at Act on Climate and at Friends of the Earth alongside other groups um, around Australia is this two-pronged approach um, for really making the best impact we can. So on one hand, um, we really need to expose and name and shame the dirty dozen companies for mm -hmm. their historic contributions to the country's emissions. And, um, you know, like as a result of that, the fact that they're really going to be the ones expected to lobby the government hard for like an easier ride when it yeah. comes to the safeguard mechanism. So we really need to um, expose them, get people aware of who they are and um, I guess, yeah, just really make the case that the, the government needs to side with the community on this one and not the dirty polluting companies. Um, so then the other part of it is really um, that we need to get community members in the room with their Labor MPs um, around Australia uh, and really telling their stories and making the case for why we need the mechanism to crack down on the big polluters um, rather than just letting them off easy, um, as they have been so many times before. So uh, if people are interested in being part of any of these actions, um, we're working with the Climate Action Network Australia, where Lee is to facilitate people to meet with their local Labor MP. Um, and also we'll be having a bunch of actions, um, like creative fun street actions that are targeting the Dirty Dozen headquarters at their offices in the Melbourne NAM CBD. Um, so you can find all of those things on our website, which is at melbournefo.org.au slash climate. Um, there'll be events there which we'd love people to come along to and also um, links to help people meet up with their local Labor MP if they're keen for that side of it. Nice. And we will link all of that in the show notes if you go to 3CR and find Dirt Radio in the programs. Lee, we have about four minutes left. Um, do you want to add anything with the work that you're doing and uh, where people can find out more? To the Earth, Melbourne, for, you know, doing incredible work so far in this campaign. You know, we've gone, as I said, from a standing start to building a lot of buzz out in the community. Um, but FOE is not alone. We've got some awesome work occurring around the country. We've had um, grassroots groups in Perth, uh, such as the Perth Hills Climate Change Interest Group, uh, Conservation Council of WA uh, taking action. Up in Brisbane, we've had the Queensland Conservation Council and other grassroots groups taking action up there. And I think we're really showing the dirty dozen polluters that we're watching and that they're on notice. And all of that is really feeding into the government's decision-making um, if people are keen to, you know, get a bit more info about the safeguard mechanism, about the Dirty Dozen and the campaign to date, people can check out the following website, canna.net.au forward slash Dirty Dozen. And we're also holding a few briefings for people that want to meet their MPs. We have the first one tomorrow night and the following one on February the 15th 
Uh, they will occur via Zoom, and we'd welcome any of your listeners to join us and get involved. Lovely. Thanks very much for that, Lee. I'll make sure that's on the notes as well. Um, one brick at a time, I suppose, and that's that's how you keep building, isn't it? Thanks for coming in today, Lee. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Anna, we're pretty much out of time, um, but that was a great interview, I thought. I thought it was, I don't know, two very knowledgeable people. It's nice to have that being bounced back at you and learn a few things. <laughs> Yeah, good to be on. Um, it's yeah, it, it is quite. It's a complicated policy. It's not the easiest climate policy um, I've ever had to explain. Um, so yeah, good to get it out on the airwaves and hope that some people are keen to come along to the things we've got coming up and really apply the heat. Thanks very much. This has been Dirt Radio. Jack and Anna in the studio. We'll see you next week. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? Since there are many ways to be involved. In 1987, to find out more, Ross go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. The organisations operating from Ross House form an eclectic patchwork of multicultural groups, self-help groups and small community organisations committed to social justice and environmental sustainability. Organisations such as the International Women's Development Agency, Human Rights Arts and Film Festival and the Wilderness Society have all called Ross House home. To find out more, please visit rosshouse.org.au. Ross House is a 3CR supporter.